Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Yes, so we're back for episode number 69 and it's myself, Mark, joined by the wonderful... Nisha. Nisha, we've been sitting down beside each other on this uh, a fair bit recently. We have indeed. We back uh, back for St. Patrick's Day. We did that great uh, leprechaun in Alabama. Well, I think we just needed to get the word out there. Yeah, I, I think do you know what for a leprechaun museum, we're not leprechaun focused enough. Not really. We really should do some more leprechaun stuff throughout the year. Yeah, now is but, not the time. Well, now. no, because now we're talking about something not very leprechaun related at all. No, we're continuing on with the invasions because on the podcast we're running through. Um, the we're running through. We're trudging <laughs> through uh, our mythology <laughs> from from beginning to end. Is that? Yeah. Is that I okay th- to say? I think so. It doesn't really have a beginning. It doesn't really have a proper end, but it Because we've no origins. So we've no creation kind of myth. Not really. Like, the only creation myth we really have is the one from the Bible, because anything else was edited out. Yeah. Yeah. But in yeah. the grand scheme of things, we're trying to proceed in as chronological a fashion as possible when you're dealing with early Irish literature. Yeah, so seeing as we've been looking at like kind of the invasions over the la- over the last while, then mm. it brings us to the final of the mythological invasions, the coming of the Milesians. Yes, the Irish Gales. By the way Irish. Of... Yeah, it brings up so many questions. This story. It really does. About where we came from, why we came here. It makes it, I, I struggle an awful lot with who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in, in a lot of these things. And I think, you know, the Fomorans and that are just like depicted as being ugly. Therefore, they are bad. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful are good. But they do flip that later on, like we saw that with uh, Brass himself. That yeah. absolute stunner. Not the nicest person. No, no, he never developed kind of that side of himself. Yeah. He's just a, just a really handsome gobshite. Reminds me of a lot of people on TikTok. Yeah, and a lot of reality TV. Most reality TV, without love, naming specifics. I would love to see... You want to say Love Island, fine. <laughs> uh, not, they don't know we exist. We're not going to get sued. In saying that, when we, we've done some reality TV stuff in the museum, yeah, we've, of course... Uh, would, would you consider Jackass to be... It verges the line between reality TV and entertainment TV, I suppose. And entertainment, because a lot of reality TV is not Not that entertaining. Um, They were really nice, those guys. They were lovely. Uh, We also did Geordie Shaw, and I will say, 90% of them absolutely lovely. Yep. Less said about the other 10%, the better. Yeah, let's focus on the good, because Vicky Vicky was really nice. Mm. And I know in the show, she was painted as being the villain. Yeah. But in terms of like interacting with the staff in the museum back when we did that, mm-hmm. act genuinely considerate and sweet and patient. Maybe it's just that she hated her castmates and was nice to everyone else. Yeah. So let's get to the story. Yes. It is an epic tale. And of course, we have Poddy telling the story. Wonderful Poddy. Uh, did, I can only hear Poddy ever telling the story. I've heard him tell the story so many times over the years. Yeah. And um, as he said, like he could work for the Spanish Tourist Board after doing this story. But does that make Poddy exotic? I think Poddy is exotic. Or he has he has a taste for it anyway. Well, we taste. know he has a taste for the exotic. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. we're not going to go there. And, <laughs> no, uh, that's not. But he does this story in such a way where it's just all like just so 
it's it's very picturesque. But there's also that, as often with Paul D, especially when he's doing doing the older material, you feel like he was there. He possibly was. Do you know what? He wouldn't be out of place, but what side would he be on? Which side would you be on? Um, oh, to be honest, yeah, probably the, probably the Malaysians, to be perfectly honest with you. Is that because you know they win? And it's like kind of like knowing ahead of time you're, you're schleaving. You're no, choosing it's the winning ac- side. No, it's actually almost the opposite. Because like, I think that there's some very uncomfortable colonial overtones with the Malaysian invasion. And I'm just owning up to my white guilt. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Very insightful of you as well. Oh, all my self-awareness does nothing for me. But it's funny though, with all the invasions that we have, are we an, are we an invasive, are we, as, as the Irish people themselves, we don't obviously go out and uh, invade other places. I think that might be just because we didn't have the opportunity, to be perfectly honest. Like, we had a Dalryida up north where we took over... Scotland very, very slowly from the West Inn. Yeah. And even we used to raid the Welsh borders. That's how Patrick came over here. Yeah. Still, I think it's something maybe we have to think about while we listen to the story, of course, and then we'll come back to it. But for now, let's just enjoy the story. Have you ever been to Spain? The north of Spain is just as beautiful as the south, though it's much overlooked. You'll be driving around Galicia, those beautiful roads. You'll turn the bend and there before you will be a gorgeous city by the sea, A Coruña. And outside of A Coruña, there is a statue to a man by the name of Brogon. Brogon was the very first Irishman, and all the Irish people are descended from him. He was also the grandfather of a family known as the Sons of Mill. The Sons of Mill, or the Milesians as they were later called, were builders. Like many Irish people after them, they enjoyed building things, And one day the whole family got together and they decided they would build the tallest tower that Europe had ever seen. The Burj Khalifa of its day. At the top of that very tall tower they placed their youngest son, Ith. I say he was their youngest son. He was possibly their most annoying son. For he fancied himself a bit of a sorcerer. He was constantly casting spells upon himself to give himself magical abilities. Almost none of them worked. But one day he gave himself the ability to see further than anyone who has ever lived. From the top of that very tall tower, it gazed out on the blue-green waters of the Atlantic, off towards the northwest. And he saw what appeared to him to be the most beautiful island in the world. He marvelled at it and thought, how could anywhere in the world be that green, that fertile? Surely it is a mirage. But the more he looked at it, the realer and realer it became. Until he realised 
that he must be gazing at the home of the gods, what we call home, Ireland, Hibernia, Ern. It ran to the bottom of the very tall tower, and he told his builder brothers about this fantasy island. But they were straightforward builder types. They didn't want to go exploring off towards a fantasy. So it went to the king of the Gaelic tribes, his grandfather, Brogon. Brogon said, I've enough on my plate. I don't want to send a fleet and an army off towards a mirage. Ith himself, though, would not be dissuaded. He and his very young son, Logged, set sail in a tiny boat off towards the northwest. They were blown off course many times and had many trials and tribulations on their journey. When they arrived in Ireland, they found that it was just as beautiful as Ith had seen from the top of the tower. But there was one problem. The whole country had been at war for seven long years. The king of the fairies, whose name was King Kermit Honeymouth. Now I know that sounds like a mixture between a Muppet and the Honey Nut Monster, but the King of the Fairies was indeed called King Kermit Honeymouth. He had died and left the island to whichever of his sons was the strongest. So naturally, the three boys had been at one another's throats for a very long time. If decided that he would try and broker a peace between this race of gods, the Tuatha-de-Danann, or as we call them today, the fairies. He prepared a banquet for them on the beach. They sat down together, and Ith raised a cup in toast, saying, Look at the land you have been given. See how green, how fertile it is. Compared to the rock where I grew up, this is paradise. The three brothers agreed that their father had indeed left them a paradise. But their next thought wasn't, Oh, we have been given so much, let us share. Their next thought was, We have been given so much. What's he doing here? What does he want? I'm very sad to say this, but the three brothers were fiercely paranoid. And so they put poor Ith to death. His young son had to sail back home to Spain with his father's body. What a lonely journey that must have been. When Logan arrived back home, he immediately went to the king and told him about the insult that had been perpetrated against their people. The king hadn't been willing to give them one boat to explore Ireland, but he sent 64 battleships to avenge the insult against his people. Why were the Gaels like this? Well, the word Gaelic is really special. In modern Irish, we often use Gael to mean foreigner, someone from uh, abroad. But the actual word has its origins in the 
ancient Irish word for a spear. The whole tribe was named after a weapon of war. Imagine there were a people alive today who referred to themselves as the AK-47s. You'd realise fairly quickly they didn't come here to make friends. They weren't in the business of making friends. They were in the business of war. War great and terrible. The 64 battleships arrived off of what is County Kerry, if you ask some storytellers, but what is probably more likely to be Dunleary. And they were greeted at once by the three brothers, who did something very strange. The three fairy kings, the three fairy princes or or, uh, leaders of their people, said to the Irish, we haven't been preparing for an invasion. We've been at war with one another now for a very long time. Are you cowards to try and come upon us by surprise? The Milesians or the ancient Irish were a very proud people, as the people of Ireland are today. And so they agreed to wait a distance of nine waves offshore while uh, the Tuatha Dé Danann, the fairies, got ready. But almost immediately after the Milesians were back out on their boats, the fairies threw everything at them. The waves roared up like mountains from their magic spells, and thunder and lightning came down in mighty waves from the sky. The fairies then coated the entire country in a thick fog, and they summoned a huge illusion, a mighty boar with four tusks that stood as high as the mountains. The people on the boats were terrified. They were hanging on for dear life. But a Mergen, the chief poet of the Irish, stepped forward into the prow of the boat, and with the beauty of his song and the beauty of his poetry, he quieted the storm. The sea became like a sheet of glass. I am the wind upon the sea, said Emergen. I am the wave upon the land. I am the roar of the ocean. I am the stag of seven combats. I am the hawk on the cliff. I am a teardrop of the sun. I am the fairest of your flowers. I am the boar of valour. I am the salmon in a pool. I am the lake upon a plain. I am the skill of your arts. I am the spear that wins battle for plunder. It sounds much better in Irish. But the gods of Ireland were so impressed by Emergen's ability to quiet the storm that when the Milesians once again made land, They were greeted at once by three goddesses, Fola, Bamba and Eru. Each of the goddesses promised the Milesians, a Gaelic tribe again as I say, a victory in battle if only they would name the country after her. 
They had had such a tough time out on their boats during the storm that they didn't want to name the country after the goddess of the sea or the goddess of the air. So they chose instead Eru, the goddess of the land, from where we get Era later on and Ireland today. Though personally, I think Bonbaland would have worked just as well. The three goddesses did indeed give the ancient Irish victory in battle, and the Tuatha Dé Danann, the tribe that would become the fairies, were soundly, soundly defeated. It is said that the leader of the fairies, then Bav Darug, who had styled himself the god of war, approached Emergen on bended knee, saying, Where will we go? You have taken everything away from us. You have taken our lands, our homes. To which Emergen rather laconically replied, You can go under the ground for all I care. By which he meant they could all die. But the fairies took it very literally, descending deep down into a network of tunnels beneath the ground where they lie in wait to this day. I don't know, listener, whether you will be happy to hear this, but the peace that the Milesians had won in Ireland didn't last for very long. The country was divided right down the middle between two of the Milesian chieftains, Eremon and Erebor, uh, but the wives of these two kings coveted the whole country for themselves. It is said that one of the queens wanted to own the three prettiest hills in Ireland. The problem was that only one of the hills was in her kingdom. And so the two halves of Ireland went to war with one another soon after the fairies had been defeated. Eremon, in the end, became the king of the entire island. But it is Emergen that really stands out as the hero of this story. If you think about it, the Irish people have always prized poetry, song, literature. And maybe that's because, according to our mythology, it once literally saved our life. So there you are. Yeah. A, 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 like I said, a story that really kind of only party can t- only party can tell it that way. If yeah. I was telling that story, it would be very different. And if I was taking massive liberties with that story, <laughs> I wouldn't kill Ith. No, he Ith was a nice guy. He's he, he's a dreamer. <laughs> no, but like he like he's doing magic on himself, trying to give himself like kind of these powers and stuff like that. I mean, we've all you you've tried to lift a pen with your mind. Naturally, every day when I walk through those automatic doors, I still do the Jedi hand movement. Yeah, because we want, and I, I admire that about him. And you know how they depict it is like he, he he's fascinated by Ireland. He thinks it's like this beautiful, just 
lush landscape and he goes mm-hmm. to visit it, sees that the lads are fighting, and he's like, do you not appreciate what you have? Yeah, chill out, guys. And he just wants everyone to get along. Yeah. And I imagine, and I choose to believe, that's how it happened. Because <laughs> the alternative is rather uncomfortable. It is, and only a more cynical mind, such as your own. Yeah. Um, how, how would you see it? What, what do you think's going on? Well, I'm just... I kind of like the the dreamer idea that there he was, he was at the top of the tower, he spots something in the distance and his imagination runs wild and unlike so many times when you're let down by your imagination realise that the world isn't as magical as you think it is, he actually discovers what to him is a fantastical other world which is a paradise on earth and unfortunately dies in the end. But uh, the realist in me just thinks that some white lad setting out from Spain finding an island uh, doesn't usually end well for the people living on that island. Yeah, no, you say that the, the the people living on that island. In terms of like being Irish, yeah, okay. It, the way it's generally seen is that the Milesians were, were they the first Irish people? It really depends on how you define it, because. Look, what makes what makes them Irish and not any of the other previous waves of invaders? Yeah, and like say for instance the Fairbalg. Yeah, uh, for many years the people of Connacht were considered to be Fairbalg because that's where they were banished. So it's not like they were the only ones left on the island. The two of the Danon, you can argue, oh maybe they were gods, so it doesn't really count. But like the people of Partholon, nothing says they're gods. Yeah, they were all wiped out. So at what stage can you say that these are the Irish people? I know in the book itself they kind of claim that they're the Irish people because they speak the Irish language. Yeah. Which was the main thing for years. It was like the Gaelic world was the sphere, not necessarily the people living on the island of Ireland. And we have a long history of turning any invaders who come to the country into the Irish. See, that's my thing, right? Because you get an awful, you know that nasty element in Ireland who are kind of like, oh, you're not Irish, you know? The bigoted racist, xenophobic kind of attitude. It's like, you have to be born in Ireland to be Irish. And then if they don't like you for that, they go, yeah, but where are your parents from? Yeah. But to me, I mean, I've met, I was a great, there was a great guy, he's a taxi driver, he used to be in this part of the city. Yeah. Uh, he's a Polish lad. And honestly, one of the most Irish people I ever met in my life. Yeah. He's always like, Jesus. And it's, it's a way of being, I think. One of my best friends from college was a woman from Latvia called Anda. And she became Irish while she was in the course because she had a bit of a kind of Californian twang when she came in because she'd just come over from California where she was, I think I was selling Hoover's door to door. Nice. Yep. But by the end of the college, she was going, ah, Jesus. And she knew the subtlety of the word grand. And to me, that's that's the test. If you know the multi-uses of the word grand, you're Irish. That's because it, it, it's definitely like an ad, and I, but I think it's a permission thing as well. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's like um, I can't believe I'm about to make a Friends reference. Oh, so you know when Rachel moves in with Joey <laughs> yeah, and yeah. drops the food, and it's just like <laughs> when you come to Ireland, and maybe it's because we're in Ireland as well, and the people yeah. who come here they're so far from home. So it's like suddenly you can behave in a certain way. Yeah, how we talk to each other, how we embrace and engage with each other, people start behaving in that way. Yeah. And to me, that's what makes someone like kind of but it's, Irish. It's about the culture. And if you can adapt into the culture, not fully adopt it, because like no one's saying get rid of your roots or anything. Yeah. Because I also think there is that, that, that attitude of, oh, where are you from? Yeah. 
on the one hand, that can be a real nasty thing. It can be yeah. trying to find out, like, where are you really from? You're not obviously not Irish. But then that's just the natural inquisitiveness of, oh no, but we want we care about our heritage. We care yeah, about yeah. our roots. We know we want other people to care about their roots as well. So we find it interesting. We're, we're, yeah, we're curious people, and yeah. there is a nice way to. It's like when children and children can like can embarrass you when they ask yeah. stuff. Like they might go up to someone and say with a disability and stuff mm. like that, and go, oh, where's your leg? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not it's not malicious. But it is. It's a very Irish. And what's our one rule in the museum? Mm. Do you know our one rule when we go in and we do our thing? We might say stuff and we have one rule. Oh, always apologise. Always apologise. Always be ready to say sorry. We're not, yeah. We don't mean anything bad about it. Yeah. But Irish in this sense, in the sense of the story and people seeing the Milesians as the first Irish, though they're clearly Spanish. Well, are they? No, and yes and no and yes. Because they go, like, they go all over the place. They start off in Scythia, which would be modern-day Ukraine. Okay, which uh, you have referenced in, in the previous yeah, podcast yeah. about this. Which, yeah. I, which I found really interesting. And they basically copied uh, the travels of the people of Israel. Because we end up in Egypt at the same time as Moses. Yeah. And then we, then we go off and travel around the world. And whereas Moses had to go through the desert for 40 years, we're like, ah, no, we're, we're the Irish. We've yeah. suffered the most. We had to travel 440 years. With no <laughs> shoes. In the, in the snow. In the snow. In the snow. And even though it was a desert, it was snowing. Yeah. And then eventually we get to the paradise that is Ireland. Yeah. As I always say when I bring up this story on the tour, though, I think there is something wrong with the people who are living in the north of Spain and go, you know what? Let's go over to this tiny island lost in the Atlantic where it rains most of the year. But they see Nisha, that's that thing where we can never appreciate actually what how great what we have is. Actually, I think that's the, the test of Irishness for me. Can you com- <laughs> yeah, can you yeah, complain yeah. correctly? Yeah, but I mean when you step back and look at you go, do you know what? And I guess maybe it's because of of the area we work in, you know, yeah. and, and how we look at things that we can actually, you know, have a genuine appreciation for our own culture. But I think that's it. Like working in the museum hel- has helped me kind of see our Irish culture from the outside. Yeah. From the inside, it's we all we do is complain. Okay. Oh, love complaining. Yeah. Love a bit of complaining. But seeing like Ireland through other people's eyes, it's both like opened me up to some of the really really great things about it, and some of the nastier elements, obviously. Yeah. Because every culture has its nasty side that it doesn't really want to show off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nervous laughter moving swiftly that's, on. That's, yeah, it's like, it's like that thing, the look of the Irish. It's like, yeah, uh, it's yeah. all bad luck, but that's yeah. not a good marketing kind no. of, you know, a, a approach. But uh, but in this story, of course, like mm-hmm. we say, they, they come over, but the, the physical invasion itself. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I also love the niceties of war back then, like Paulie alludes to it, where they come in, Every, they've landed on the island the army's there they go up to the two of the Dan and go whoa 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 this isn't how gentlemen fight you didn't give us a warning yeah that was a bit sly like I wouldn't normally have seen the the two of the Dan as, as being kind of like that well the two of the are kind of odd in this story because usually they're seen as kind of exemplars and paragons to aspire to because yeah. if, if, if indeed they were gods because it is a bit of a debate but yeah. we're, saying, we're saying they are generally you want to look up to them in cer- to a certain extent Yeah. so you don't really want them to be sly and sneaky yeah. and yet they really are in this like there's no denying it they're like they got us to go, go back over the distance of nine waves and they're like oh yeah unleash all hell yeah yeah 
And it's like that, asking someone to step back further when you're taking a picture of them. Yeah. Knowing they're going to fall. Yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, push them <laughs> over the edge. But, it, but it's a shift in perspective of yeah. the story. It's it's definitely coming at it from a different angle, you know? Mm-hmm. Because the two day down and losing like that yeah. and losing Ireland is just seems odd. It does. Like, well, why did they lose? Um, well, my father's own theory was that if they were indeed gods or spirits of some variety, they didn't nest they properly belong to the other world. Yeah. Whereas we are born of the earth and therefore it is actually our home. All parts of the earth are home to the mortal races. Yeah. So technically we have more ownership, for want of a better word, of Just Ireland sounds like justification have. to yeah, me. Yeah, see, see, this goes back to the unfortunate colonial overtones. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. It's just, I, do you know what? Because <laughs> I, I love the story, and again, yeah, I love story. what he's telling of it, but I, delving into it and looking into it doesn't make me feel good. No, but the positive spin on it is, please, please, according to this. our own origin story, we are immigrants to this land, and tying into the fact that for most of our country's existence, our primary export was people. Oh yeah, a great so export. So we emigrated yes. all over the world, but again, we, we emigrated ourselves from the north of Spain to Ireland. And it's yeah. an important thing to keep in mind that this was seen as Irish history right up to like the 70, the 1800s. Yeah. It wasn't seen as mythology at all. This was, as far as we were concerned, what happened? We went well, it was written down. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it was there. So it's like, of course I'm going to believe it. It's in a format that most of us can't understand, but yep. still, it's it's in a book. Yeah. And I think that that essential, like, there's the essential truth of it, of, like, we, like when you go back to it, all humanity most likely emerged on the continent of Africa and spread yeah. throughout the world. Yeah. So we're not, none of us are in our actual home biome, as it were. So we're no. all immigrants to an extent. Yeah, and we, we do like travelling. Uh, we do like, I mean, some of us, uh, some yeah. of us don't. We just rather just nicely stay, stay in the parish, don't yeah, go too far. That, that's it. <laughs> generation after generation living in the same stone house. Um, Which is why immigration is great. We need help with the gene pool. Oh, listen, gene the invasions have been, in terms of food and the introduction, because, <laughs> of course, an awful lot of the animals that we have in Ireland didn't exist in Ireland. No, even like one Horses. Of the Horses. We didn't have. No. Even the red deer, which like many people campaigned to be like one of Ireland's national animals. Yes. They seem to have come over from Scotland about uh, 10,000 years ago. Yeah. So they're not native. The only real native ones that we know of are like mostly birds. Yeah, that's true. Because we're an island. Yeah. Um, I know in uh, the Topographica Hibernicus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duralis Wales is like kind of talking about like kind of seeing rats and stuff like that. <laughs> and things that like. Rats the size of children. Yeah. Um, I nearly quoted Father Ted there in a way when I had me cancelled. Um, but I'm not even going to edit that line now. If nope. you get it, you get it. But um, animals, actually, sorry, to take it back to animals, there mm. is that scene in this story, and you said in this movie. Yeah, um, it's very cinematic. It, it is very cinematic. And um, I suppose that makes the point then about the, the conjuring of the illusion of the wild boar with mm. teeth and like, the height of mountains. That gets cut out. Yeah. There's an awful lot of, like, more modern writers have just, have just taken it out as being... What, what was the reason for cutting that out? Too bat... Insane? Too, too batshit crazy. Yeah. We can say batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. But it just it makes me think of that scene in The Goonies, the yeah, deleted yeah, 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 yeah. scene, 
where they take out the giant squid fighting <laughs> by the pirate ship. But because then you're questioning, like, because I've heard that story done by by people, fantastic storytellers, mm. uh, but not party, yeah. where they don't have that in it. And then you're kind of like, and it's a good few years. Actually, my God, it's before party. Oh. Um, so we're looking at eight years ago. And me going, wait, was there not a scene? Or did, did I imagine that? But I just don't see why you take something like that out. But I'm a big fan of putting all the weird stuff back in to yeah. the stories. Because to me, that's that's the interest of... Like, yeah, you, anyone can do the basic narrative. Oh, yes, these people came over, fought a war, took over the land. It's those weird scenes that give it the unique flavor and make it that unique medieval Irish thing. That, that it, the dream sequence from um, Tiernan Oak, yeah. where he has the dream every night and he's like slashing the chains trying yeah. to rescue the maiden. I honestly thought I made that up. Nope. And that's the thing being a storyteller. You start saying stuff enough of times and we play with the stories. Oh, yeah. Mostly yeah. with folk tales. More so with folk tales. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, wait, where is the origin? Where, like, where's the beginning yeah. of it? Especially since, like, a lot of people in Ireland, when they're reading like about the Irish mythology, they usually would go to Gregory. Like, yeah. so many times when I see people recommending books, she's the first person mentioned. And it's an excellent version. But she edits out all the weirder, fantastical elements yeah. to make it more acceptable for the audience she was going for. I prefer Eileen O'Fraylon in terms of that. Yeah. Cause just because of... I, I mean, I'd be terrified to be in a room with someone like that because her... <laughs> lustful love of violence and description of violence is just it's kind of unnerving yeah but I want put more of it in and that's why I love like kind of having like you know multiple storytellers all having the freedom to ex- within certain parameters yeah to explore the stories because mm-hmm. you need to be able to make these more relevant to a modern audience keep people engaged with it. but I, I personally think this story uh, The Coming of the My Lesions has everything you need for a modern audience. Yeah, it, there's so much you can draw on and so many contemporary parallels you can draw. It And as we just mentioned, it's really cinematic. It's so strongly visual. Well, then let me ask you a final question before on, we then. finish up then. I, it's a two-part kind of question. Yeah. Who's your favourite character in it? Ooh, well, I, I'm going to be rather boring. I actually really like Amargan. Why? Because he's a sound lad. What does he... He comes in, right? It's always the peacemaker. Yeah. Eru is going, oh, name the island after me. He's going, yeah, of course we will. Listens to women. He says... There's no Milesian women in this. Oh, there definitely are. Because they don't... It's not like they settle in and go, and we're going to pop back over to Galicia and pick up the women. They've come over... Ships filled with their women, with their livestock, with their farming okay. equipment. And they just happened to have 68 ships ready to go when it, when the news 68 ships. We should have changed it to 69, given this is a 69th We really episode. should have, to be honest. But, but it is written as uh, being The 69th 68. one, it didn't make it. Didn't the 69th ship was one filled with women. Because otherwise it's a bit, lads, 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 lads. Yeah. So I did say it was a two-part question I had for yeah. you, which was, which was your first one. And I suppose I think the answer... Mm. I think I already know the answer to this. And you said it's very cinematic. Yeah. Nisha, if it was to be done as a movie, yeah. who would you cast yourself as? I would be Don. He'd be Don. Don. But he doesn't get much of a look in in Pody's version. Yeah. Because uh, his main narrative is actually in one of the Dinhenicus poems about the Milesians coming to Ireland. Right. But for the, for those that don't know it, real quick version, he was basically the, the top one of the Sons of Mill. He would have been High King of Ireland after they'd taken over. Yeah. But as the 
uh, magical druidic winds of the two of the down comes at the ships and are pushing them back he, uh, the poets say that they need they need to chant a counter spell to calm the waves and so Don climbs up to the top mast and he begins chanting a counter spell and he takes all of the negative energy of the winds into him giving him a giving him the plague and then he, he comes down and goes look if I go to Ireland this horrible plague is going to spread throughout all the people. You've got to leave me behind. So they leave oh. him on Bull Rock off Cork's coast. And he goes, um, they build him a cairn. And he says that from now on, all of, my, all of your descendants, when they die, tell them they must come to my house before they go on to the next life. So he basically but, becomes yeah, the he, waiting room for heaven slash hell. Yeah, he's actually, yeah, that's it. In terms of like a very, like kind of like being our death. Yeah. He, he's very hospitable. Yeah. I think that's something we're going to have to address in another. Yeah, in it another sounds like another there. episode. Yeah, it, it it does, but uh, no, but I I would be him because he he was a bit arrogant and cocky. Yeah, and I, I can be at times. Well, you, you wouldn't yeah. be a very good storyteller if you couldn't be. No, <laughs> <laughs> no wallflowers uh, telling stories around the place, but uh, yeah, yeah, definitely wouldn't play my favorite character because all I can think of was for Amargan is definitely Pauly. Yeah, absolutely. They're at the prow of the Abs ship. Ab absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, with that then, um, I, thank you so much, Nisha. Oh, thank you. Uh, and our listeners. Of course. They're so, And you know what? Just, I, I don't know, more so on this episode than any others. They're very handsome. Aren't they? Oh, my goodness. Look at yourselves. You're gorgeous. Guys, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed the story. Make sure to check in with us twice a month. Mm -hmm. The first of the month and the 15th, we will always deliver you an exquisite folktale and a delicious uh, myth from Irish storytelling. Thank you so much and goodbye. Slán. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend. <laughs>